Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media, at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Matthew 8. Matthew 8, if you've got your Bible, we're going to start in Matthew and we're going to sidestep over to something Luke has to add about the story. And then we'll finish up with one more verse in Matthew. I'm going going to preach on some things that should be challenging to you. We are wasting, I am wasting your time. We are wasting our time if we come over here to go through the religious routine. And nobody leaves challenged to change something. It was just in vain. And I look, I'm just going to be real with y'all. I ain't spiritual enough to go through the motions. I just, I, I'm not, I'm not, maybe I'm not saved as you are. Maybe I don't love God as much as you do. I just can't go through the motions if we're not going to major on truth. Truth ought to make you want to change something about your life. So can y'all help me preach through some truth today? Now, if y'all, if y'all look, at me, look at me like a calf staring at a new gate, I'll preach eight hours. Bless God, I'll get a cup of water and keep going. Let's make this quick, but let's give God the attention his word deserves. Matthew 8, look what the Bible says. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. The whole reason all these people are showing up is he is walking in the fullness of the spirit and he is exercising the work of the ministry. Right here, if you read the text before we just read, he's not just preaching truth. He's casting devils out of people. If you've got a disease or a sickness, people are coming to him and he's healing them by the supernatural work of the Spirit. And so as you can imagine, with all of these things he's doing, I mean, it's God in the flesh, y'all. It's going to get people's attention. So when the Bible says a multitude of people show up, it's not talking about, it ain't talking about new grace. Three, four, five hundred people. When the Bible talks about a multitude, it's talking about a multitude. You know, you know have you ever noticed when Jesus fed the people with fish and loaves? What do we always say? You remember when Jesus fed 5,000? Well, hold on now. He didn't feed 5,000. He fed 5,000 men beside women and children. Just as their custom was when they did a census or a count, they didn't even count the women and children. So they were counting the men, and y'all know they had more than one kid. Heck, most of them had more than one wife, right? So when you're doing the math on this 5,000 men, you're talking 12, 15, maybe 20,000 people. So when the Bible says multitude, it's talking about a multitude. The whole multitude comes to him. And when the multitude comes to him, he says, you know what? Let's go to the other side. 
Let's get away from here. Anybody want to go on a boat trip? Come on, let's get away from here. And the Bible says in verse 19, a certain scribe said to him, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I will follow you. And, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds, they got nests, but I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. You sure you want to follow me? I'm homeless. And the Scottish hen's booked up. Are you, are, you, are you sure you want to go with me? Because I don't have anywhere to lay my head tonight. Verse 21. One of the serious people that followed him, a disciple said, Lord, allow me first to go bury my father. And then Jesus says, follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. Luke tells us in chapter 9 of his gospel something that Matthew doesn't mention. He mentions another fellow in this conversation. Another said, Lord, I will follow you. He, heard, he overheard the conversation. Jesus said, follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. He pipes up and says, I'll follow you. But, but first, let, let me go tell everybody at my house, in my home, let me go tell them bye. Let me go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus says in verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that he can't and won't experience it. He just says he ain't ready to. He ain't fit. He ain't fit for the kingdom of God. And Matthew concludes the narrative with this. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. When he was entering into a ship, his disciples followed him. It's interesting. The whole crowd shows up, right? Tons of people. Tons of people. By our metrics and measurement, you and I are looking at this story going, yes, when everybody showed up, everybody was there. They got to see Jesus. They got to, they got to experience Jesus. What a win, right? And when the crowd shows up, Jesus is like, ah, I'm good. I'm going to go this way. <laughs> what? Is Jesus not a people person? Does he not like being in public places? Did he forget his mask? What's, what's going on? Why, why is he leaving when everybody else shows up? It's, it's almost like he, he got everybody in front of him. And he said, okay, now I'm going this way. What's the idea here? It's almost like Jesus was testing the commitment of the people that said they wanted to follow him. It's almost like when everybody showed up, Jesus said, okay, let's make it difficult and see who actually wants to go where I'm going. There's, there's different levels of people's commitment when they follow Christ. Most people, y'all need to understand this, and I'm not talking about any of y'all, but most people. Most people have a crowd-based commitment when they follow Jesus. In other words, they show up with the crowd for the show. And when the show's over, they leave with the rest of the crowd. Somebody talk to me at 1130. Come on, help me preach this thing. The, the, the crowd is very deceiving because the crowd will show up for Fish and hush puppies. 
The crowd will show up for the miracles, exercising the demons. The crowd will show up for the show. The crowd will be there on Sunday. But the crowd goes home when the show's over. You can't trust a crowd. Can't. You know what? A crowd is just people following people. That's what a crowd is. Oh, hey, where's all these people going? Oh, there's a guy who claims to be God, who's from God, with the word of God, doing the work of God. Let's go check it out. Everybody goes and watches. Wow, that's something right there. Oh, where's he going? Is he getting in that boat? He's going over there? Okay, well, maybe we'll see him again later. I thought you were there to follow him. No, I was there to see him. I was there to associate with him. I was there to be close to what he was doing, but I don't really care about getting close to him. I wouldn't mind benefiting from the healing. I got a few devils I wouldn't mind getting cast out. I wouldn't mind some great things happening for me in the landscape of eternity, but to follow him? I think I'll just stick with a crowd. But then there's a deeper level of commitment. It's called a core-based commitment. The core is who's left when everybody else leaves. It's the people that you always see hanging around Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, they're always there. Here's the thing with the core. Sometimes you can get so committed to just being a part of the core, you forget that the, the original intention was to be close to Christ, and you end up getting closer to the group in the core than you do to the people who are, than the, than the God you are actually following. I wrote this down. God told me to share this with you. When you're part of the core, you, you tend to cherish too much the sense of belonging. If you're not careful, you'll take pride in your level of commitment. And you'll even get overly inflated about being one of the ones who is in. I read a book when we started this church. It was called Launch. And, then, and the author made a controversial statement that I disagreed with when I originally read the book. This is before we ever started the movie theater. It said this, 90% of your launch team that you start with, and he wasn't just talking about the initial launch team, he was talking about once you've started, who's with you. He said 90% will be gone in a year. And I remember like, not my church, not my team, not us, buddy. We're sticking with it. We're staying with it. And I'll be dead gummed if that joker wasn't right. I thought they, they were, I, like, and, and I don't use that terminology anymore in ministry, core group. Because what people do is they get this inflated sense of self because they think they're overprivileged being an insider. And they're, they're not wise enough or discerning enough to know the difference between being entrusted and being entitled. God entrusted them with something that they're responsible for and that they are to manage and that he, he has trusted them. But what happens is they're so, they get such a high on being in that they get entitled and they get an inflated sense of pride over being one of the people who is in. And here's the problem. When your commitment to Christ is based on how in you are with the church and the people, the moment there's disbanding or division in the people, you split too. 
because your confidence in following Christ was built in and around on the people you surrounded yourself with. And the moment, here we go, you get close to someone else who's even more in than you and they disappoint you, I, I, I believe that we should all assimilate and grow inwardly, relationally. I do. I think there should be a closeness, especially in a church that's growing. The only way you can keep a big church feeling small is when you have small groups of people who cluster together like nucleus and family. There's something to that. But I'm going to tell you something. Your pursuit of God and your relationship with God cannot be built on how adhesive you are with other people. People and relationships are important, but they can't be the glue that keeps you following Jesus. You've got your crowd. You've got your core, and then there's few people. And I want you to pay attention to the word few. There's few people that follow Jesus with a Christ-based commitment. They are there when the crowd comes and goes. They are there when there's discord, disagreement, and division in the core group. They do not come, they do not serve, and they do not follow God based on who else is doing Are you going this weekend? Are you going? Are y'all out of town? We're probably going to miss them. They don't do that. They're in for God. They don't care who else is going to be there or who else is going to follow. They're in it for Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus himself alluded to the idea that there are few people that follow God this far. Did Jesus not say this? Enter ye in at the straight. That's another word for narrow. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And here it is again. Few there be that find it. I want to submit to you this morning. Jesus said, follow me. Don't follow what's associated with me. Follow me. Don't follow what's attached to me. Follow me. He told the disciples in Matthew 4, follow me. He told Matthew in chapter 9 of his gospel, follow me. He told Levi in Mark chapter 2, follow me. In Luke 9, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He told Philip in John chapter 1, follow me. He told Peter after the resurrection, follow me. And in John 10, he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they will follow me. Church, it is not enough to follow what follows Jesus. I submit to you, just follow Jesus, and what follows Jesus will start following you. Somebody help me go to church and give him some praise. We got this all twisted. We, we got this all backwards. Jesus ain't looking for ministers. He ain't looking for commentators. He ain't looking for scholars. He's not looking for professors. He's looking for followers. People who will go hook, line, and sinker and follow Jesus. In a world of uncertainty and a time of unknown, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Can, can, we, can we clear the air for a few minutes? 
the same way Jesus did in this story about the cost, the, the true cost of what it means to follow him. Because a lot of y'all thought y'all wanted to be Christians. I don't want to re-preach last week, although we could. But being a Christian and a disciple is not the same thing. Being a believer and a disciple is, a lot of y'all think, A lot of us think we want to follow Christ. Christianity has dammed up the river of understanding so bad in the last 20 years of what it really means to follow Christ. Just believe and go on about your life. He came, lived a sinless life. He was tortured, beaten, murdered, crucified, rose again, and all for my sin. How convenient for me. I can just go on about my life because I'm good because I believe in Jesus. Do you really believe if you don't follow? I'm just asking a question. I mean, do you really believe? Like, it, do, do you really believe that? Because like, I look, I, I just get confused because I look at, um, at people as a whole especially around here, that say they're Christians and they believe in God, but like nothing ever changes. Because when I look at the way people are and then I look at the way people were when they followed Jesus, it's drastically different. I went to Bible college and I remember looking at other guys that lived in the dorm and thinking, you don't follow Jesus. You followed a fad and a calling and excitement to a dormitory to do a thing that you think completes you. But when it comes down to it, you're not really in this for Jesus, are you? And I'm scared that on Judgment Day, so many people are going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised at who's there. And then you're going to be surprised, really, over who ain't. It's interesting. The whole crowd shows up. You and I would be like, yeah, everybody showed up. And Jesus doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. Because the moment they show up, he's like, let's leave. And one dude pipes up in a lot of boldness and he says master I will go wherever you go I'll follow you wherever you go and Jesus says are you sure because I'm homeless tonight and I have nowhere to sleep write this down if you take notes if not log it away in your memory you'll need this if you follow Jesus he needs to be your security Somewhere, someone somehow convinced the church as a whole that Jesus guaranteed our earthly security. Prosperity gospel. Somebody convinced believers that if you follow Jesus, everything in this life will just fall into place. 
It couldn't be. Don't tell the apostle Paul that who sat in the Philippian jail and wrote the last letter of his 13 epistles and later had his head chopped off. Don't tell. Don't tell the disciple. Don't tell Simon Peter who was crucified upside down. Don't tell the apostle John who was dipped in boiling oil and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Don't tell them that Jesus guarantees your earthly security. Jesus never, listen to me, I've read cover to cover of the world's bestseller that sits on that podium in your lap, on that screen, an app on your phone. There is nowhere in there that guarantees your earthly security. Jesus only guarantees your eternal security. And I got to stop because the evangelist in me wants to drop it like it's hot right there and preach. I am so glad that it ain't banking on me to keep what grace gave me. Because if it was up to my behavior, if it was up to my track record, if it was up to my ability to keep what I got, honey, I'd have lost it 10 minutes after I got it. I gotta stop and say, praise God, it was Jesus that got me in and it was Jesus that's gonna keep me in. My Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. I need a witness at 11.30. He didn't guarantee earthly security. Follow me and you'll have six figures. No, no. That's not there. Did God, did, not, did God not equip us with the wisdom and the ability and the talents to gain certain areas of earthly security? Absolutely. Is that the goal? No. No, it's not. He does not promise earthly security. And he tells this guy, you won't follow me. Read between the lines of the conversation. He basically says, here's the problem. You're not going to follow me because I'm homeless and you need a roof over your head because you equate a roof over your head and a pillow under your head as an element of security. And I'm not guaranteeing that. I'm a traveling holy hobo. You don't know where we're going to be sleeping tonight. Now, if you want to, if do you get the context? If you want to follow me, you need to consider that cost. I submit to you that your idea of security probably doesn't exist with God. Look at all of us. working our tails off, checking all the boxes, trying to check the boxes faster than our parents who tried to check the boxes faster than their parents. We won't in three years what it took our parents 30 years to get. We constantly are looking horizontally at how everybody else is doing, trying to check our boxes. The house isn't big enough. The car's not cool enough. Clothes aren't trendy enough, life ain't good enough, I'm not happy enough, marriage isn't where it could be, nothing's enough, and we're trying to do all these things of security, and here's what's crazy, Jesus tells us, if you get all that stuff you think is secure, but you build it on something other than me, the moment circumstances challenge what what you've built 
it's going to all go knocked out. Did he not give the parable of the wise man? Jesus said, if you listen to what I say and you do what I say, if you follow me, I'll, I'll tell you who you're like. You're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And here's the deal. Winds are going to blow. Rains are going to fall. Everything's going to come beating upon that house. But if it's built on a rock, it ain't going to fall. Yeah. But if you don't follow me and you ignore what I'm telling you, you're going to be like the guy who built the same thing, but he built it on sand, which is shifty and gives beneath the weight of change. Here's what's interesting. Rain's going to hit both houses. Wind's going to blow on both houses. The same set of circumstances are going to happen to the same set of guys. They both did the same thing. The only difference is one built his on a rock, the other built his on sand. I submit to you, far too many people are building sand castles in the sand, and they wonder why the mo when the moment circumstances come and beat upon that house, they wonder why it all falls out from under them. You may think you've got security until you get laid off. You may think you have security until they cheat on you. You may think you have security until you have to bury a loved one. It is amazing what you and I associate with security and Jesus, look, he never guaranteed that. He says, it's coming. And when it does, you better make sure your security is built in me. Jesus looked at this boy and said, look, houses come and houses go. If you want to follow me, get in this boat and row, row, row your boat. This is where I'm going. Are you in or not? Knowing that this guy wouldn't follow him. Because what this guy thought he needed to follow Jesus, Jesus couldn't guarantee him. Let me ask you a question. In the middle of all this change as a church, right here where we are, going where we're trying to go, at any point in time, did you get tempted to make our security a piece of property? Here's a thought. If we can't do what we do as a church because our location changes, we have no business doing anything as a church. If, if the reason we said this existed and the reason we did what we did had to stop because we changed floors and roofs, I'm going to go do something else in my life. Good luck, y'all. Good luck, I'm doing something else. No, no. I am convinced that our security, it is not in sheetrock walls. Yeah. It is not in auditorium lightning. It is not in property or parcels of land. Our security is built on a rock underground, and that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a rock that is settled. He is a rock that is secure. He is a rock that is established. Can I preach about him for a second? He's a rock that will not shift. He's a rock that will not crack. He's a rock that will not roll away you can build your life on him you can build your marriage on him you can build a family on him you can build a church on him upon this rock I'll build my church Jesus said if you're going to follow me I have to be your security not all that other stuff 
And then another guy pipes up. Now, this guy's probably a little closer to God because he's identified as a disciple. And this, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around how to package what I needed to say right here. And then I said, forget the wrapping paper. I'm taking the turd out of the box and throwing it at everybody. <laughs> I heard a kid laughing at the word turd. An another of his disciples. Check this out. G can you see Jesus getting the boat ready? Disciples are perplexed because... There's several thousand people that have showed up, and now Jesus is about to bon voyage, right? And a guy goes, Lord, suffer. That, that King James word just means allow. Allow me to first. Everybody say first. first. Everybody say first. first. Allow me to first go bury my father. Now, Jesus comes across very inconsiderate right here. And he said, no, follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. Now I have time to break down the whole, let the dead bury their dead. Let's not miss the principle. Jesus is not being inconsiderate. He's revealing something to the audience, the reader, and to this individual. This is not about you going to bury your father. Jewish custom, several reasons he probably thinks he needs to do this. If he's the oldest son, it's his job to bury the dad. Also, they don't have Western Union or ACH transfers. So if he wants the inheritance, he's got to hang around. Do we really want to jeopardize our duty to bury our father and our inheritance to go on a boat ride with God? And Jesus knows if you go do that first, I'll probably never see you again. Because the moment you get that inheritance, you won't need to follow me. See, watch this. Jesus, if you follow him, he can't just be your security. He has to also be your priority. That is why he's highlighting the significance of this man saying, let me do this first. And Jesus is saying, no, I'll tell you what comes first. It's following me. Let's push pause for a second and unpack the reality of this. I think we can all agree a funeral is a top of the deck non-negotiable of something we would never, could never miss, especially of a loved one. Right? Someone passes away and, you know, they sat across the restaurant. You almost feel obligated to go. But a loved one? And this guy's going, I got to go do this first. And what Jesus does is he sizes up the power of him being priority. He goes, no, no, no. You let someone else do that. I'm getting in this boat. I'm going that way. And if you're serious about being a disciple, which you say you are, follow me. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question. What have you allowed to be bumped up? And how did you allow Jesus to be bumped down? I get cracked up at two times of year, every year. I've been doing this seven years, eight years, I can't remember. We've been doing it a while. And I get cracked up every year, twice. One's at Christmas time, the other's in May. Because at Christmas time, I don't know, I don't know if it's the nativity scene, but people start feeling guilty. 
you know, little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus over here in the manger. And everybody, everybody just feels guilty. Like, oh, I haven't been putting God first because last January I said I would. And here we are in December and he's sitting there looking at me and I haven't put him first. And so they go into January and they, they throw, they throw making God first and name your area. Okay. Name your area. In my mornings, I'm going to make God first along with coffee and stevia. And the reason you're doing stevia is because you had a New Year's resolution, you're cutting out sugar. Let me know how that works out for you. And then you've got, you, you've got your mind made up. I'm going to give God my time. And you said, you know what? I'm tired of going to this church and taking and taking and taking and not, and not contributing. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to do what the Bible says with my finances, and I'm going to start tithing. And you got that goal, and I'm going to put God first, right? And you've got this list of resolutions, and you tap God on somewhere there. He's going to be a priority. And then I get cracked up because May comes along. They say it takes 21 days to create a habit. Okay, I'll go with that. Maybe it does. So by May, you've kept God first in whatever areas he convicted you about being priority. And look, I don't want to be one of the pastors who's singing this same sad song right now because all of them are. So I want to put a different spin on it. But pastors and church leaders, they hate this time of year. That sunshine that gives us life, they hate that. Because that, 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 that summer sun comes calling and we like flies to a light. We just, we just gravitate to it. School gets out, schedules get all crazy. Everybody just loses their mess for like two and a half months. By the way, when I was in school, we got over three months for summer break. Y'all barely get eight weeks. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I remember, no, seriously, I remember going to school after Labor Day. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Some of you are like, bless God, I didn't go to school at all, and I turned out all right. <laughs> There's something about the summertime, and I'm making light of this, but I'm actually being serious. Something about the simplicity of schedules changing, weather changing, all of a sudden, look at this, the same Jesus who was a priority in January all of a sudden, the attention or the attendance or the affection we were giving him, you can see how circumstantial it was. Look at your life. Look back over your life and look at how your priorities have changed over the years. I remember three and a half years ago, I couldn't tie my shoes. I was so out of shape and so like just t like tight, like sitting down for too long and living in a Zaxby's drive-thru. Yes. And I, I, you know, it's like I can't even, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't clip my toenails. And the solution, by the way, is not letting your toenails get longer so you can clip them, so you can reach them. I just, it was that bad. And, and, and I was getting bad health reports. And the doctor's like, yeah, you got to change something. And between cancer and other things like not being able to reach your feet and I was in the worst shape of my life and I know you're like God don't do it's not even January seriously don't do the whole health thing right now I'm not I'm, I'm giving you a personal example for me my priority shifted I'm like I gotta do something I gotta eat different I gotta I gotta join a gym I, I got to do something because of where I was at in life my priority shifted also your priorities will shift based on what's important to other people. 
If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are hanging me out in the dry right there. You're just looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Your priorities come and go. And what Jesus is challenging this guy, along with us, is I need to stay your top priority. Question for you. What area of your life is Jesus no longer important? And what are, what are we going to do to put him back in first place? Luke gives us another interesting spin with the last character in our story, and I'll close right here in a second. Another guy steps up and says, Lord, I'll follow you. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, real quick, I said this a couple months ago. I'll clear it up again. When you were plowing in that day and age, a plow that was being pulled by some ox or donkey or something, it had a, a beam that stuck up out of the plow. And you would put a post at the other end of the field. And the only way you could plow a straight row is if you kept that beam in line with that post. Jesus is saying, the analogy here, if you're plowing and you're looking back, it's impossible for you to plow a straight row. You have to continue to look forward to make sure that beam's aligned with that post. Jesus is saying, if you are following me, you can't be looking over your shoulder at where you came from you can't be going backwards. Following me has to come with some finality. And so what Jesus says is, if you want to follow me, I have to be your finality. I have to be the last thing you ever decide to do. I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus says, I have to become your final answer. I have to be the decision maker for the rest of your life. Do you remember? I want to ask you a question. Do you remember when you made your final decision about the rest of your life? Some of you haven't done it yet. Some of you are along for the ride right now hearing the gospel. And the Holy Ghost is beginning to prick your heart, open your eyes that you haven't yet made up your mind. You keep looking back. Well, let me, let, hey, let me go back. Let me go back and take care of this. You know what? I've seen it a hundred times. People don't want to fully commit to following Jesus because they want to go ahead and get their goodbyes with this part of their life before they commit. It's called being almost but not yet ready. I had a gentleman look at me not too long ago, standing over there in that hallway. He said, I'm listening, I'm paying attention, I'm understanding things. You're saying things like I've never heard them said in church. I've never been able to actually hear it and understand it or apply it. He said, all this is just making so much sense. And I look back at where I've been over the last year and I can tell that God's doing some of these things in my life. And then he basically told me, I'm just not yet convinced on whether or not I want to follow him. First of all, I applaud the honesty. I'll take it. Because if God ever gets a hold of that guy and he does something, that honesty, God's going to use to go a very long way. But what he basically said is, I got some things in my life that I want to hold on to before I do this. 
And you may be in this room and you're this close to letting Jesus be your final decision that'll dictate the rest of your life. But you're afraid of what you gotta let go of. Like, what do I have to forget about if I say yes to this? Anybody in this room made a decision to follow Jesus and you found out there were some people you had to leave behind? There were some places you had to leave behind? Some things you used to be associated with that God said, just drop it, leave it alone. Don't go back to it. Don't look over your shoulder. Walk away from it. No time to go back and hug it, kiss it, ride it, say goodbye to it. Just drop it, lay it there, leave it there, and walk on and follow me. Too many times we want to go back to something and Jesus is saying, no, if you follow me, it is you living at the point of no return. Have there been times when I looked over my shoulder and thought about going back? Yes. Have there been times when I tried to go back? Yes. Can I testify going back to where I came from? It's not the same as it used to be. Being the person that I used to be, it just don't fit anymore. Am I the only hellion in this room? Anybody else ever been like that prodigal son and you looked into the foreign country? Anybody ever tried to visit it? And found out, man, this ain't like it used to be. It just ain't the same. Of course it ain't the same. You're not the same. It can't be the same. It's not supposed to be the same. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. It's not supposed to be the same. When you follow Jesus, you're living at the point of no return. When you follow Jesus and you make the decision, this is what I'm going to do with my life and my eternity, every other decision that comes into the path has to follow behind the decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to say that again. That was a loaded statement. Are you listening? When you've made the decision to follow Jesus, every decision that comes into your path has to follow behind the decision to follow Jesus. If I marry this person, is it going to prohibit me from being able to follow Jesus like I said back there I would? If I take this job, is it going to prohibit me from following Jesus like I said I would back there? If I join this church, is it going to propel or prohibit me from following Jesus like I said I would? Can you imagine how different your life starts looking when every decision gets ran through that filter? I know I said I was going to follow him. How does this fit in? I'm not monkeying around. If this doesn't fit, I'm not doing it. If this person doesn't add to me going this direction, I'll love you from a distance. Jesus says, I must be your finality. No need to go tell them bye. Don't go back, because if you go back, you're not coming. Stay right here and follow me. Leave. Is that not what happened with the disciples? They're sitting there, just got done with a fishing trip. Jesus walks by, Simon and Andrew, and he says, follow me. And what's the Bible say? Verse 20. And right away, they left their nets. It's funny, the thing they cast out is the thing they could have got called in. And they dropped it and followed him. I remember my pastor, my first pastor, 
telling stories that used to scare people like me to death. He'd talk about people coming into church services like this and somebody would preach about abandoning all and saying yes to Jesus and there'd be somebody in there that would buck up on God, get mad in spirit. I heard stories about people standing up and cussing the preacher. I heard stories about the preacher talking to people in the lobby after the service or out there in the foyer, out there in the churchyard and the person would say, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to give up my life. I'm not ready to change things. I'm not ready to go in with Jesus. And these horror stories these preachers tell about these people that take, take off out of the churchyard flying down the road only to have a head-on collision a quarter mile down the road and die. I've heard stories about people bucking up on God and bucking up on his man and bucking up on the church and driving off and getting in a car accident and being trapped in the car and the car being on fire and they're screaming from inside the car. People getting to the scene of the accident and their family falling apart on the pavement over what's happened. They were this close. They were almost ready, but not yet. We apply that. We, we throw that out there with those stories to people who don't know Jesus. My question is this. How does that not apply to you and I right now who are playing games with God? Amen. How is that any different for us? To be this close to following him and being like, yeah, but I want to do this instead. No, I've already made my mind up. Like, there's no turning back. I'm in with God, and if this decision doesn't fit in to follow him, I'm just not going to do it. I can't do that. Have you made that decision yet? It's funny. After Jesus addresses these three guys, he gets into a boat. Come on, JJ, help me close. He gets into a boat, and the Bible says the disciples followed him. Only 12 people wanted to go with him. Here's what's more scary. Sounds like he only wanted 12. <laughs> he got in one boat. This is not a carnival cruise line, ladies and gentlemen. This is not the Gen A. This is a little John boat, fisherman's boat. And he gets in the boat and there's only room for 12 more. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said only a few will follow me. I made my mind up a long time ago and I'll follow him. There's been times where I stepped back, went back, and every time I realize it ain't the same, and then I come back. We've started this journey as a church together. I know this has so many applications to everybody's life. I get it. So many of us right now are questioning what we think real security is. Many of us are looking at our life and going, you know what? Is Jesus even a priority? Because I haven't been living like it. And some of us are right now at that crossroads. Am I going to make the final decision to go with God? Or am I going to keep hanging on and going back over here? I get it. But I'm going to tell you something. As a church, as new grace, this thing takes on a whole other meaning when you look at where we are. We're literally living this right now. I have been telling y'all for years as your pastor, we are going to be the church 
not go to church, right? You've heard me say that. Let's be the church, not go to church. Well, it's real funny because where we go to church is about to come to an abrupt end. 99% of you, what I'm about to share is not news to you. You might be in here and not know this, but from the jujitsu business all the way up here to the auction place, they're repurposing the shopping center. We're not bad tenants. We didn't get kicked out. Everybody's getting the boot. 60-day notice, right? I shared that with you, and you know how aggressive we've been in trying to establish a temporary meeting location. Of course the timing couldn't be worse because we're tearing, teeing up the purchase of the Bilo, and I shared with you a couple weeks ago of how that was up in the air because of the owners. And so the priority has been we've got to find a temporary location. And so I want you to, I want you to hear this from me. I don't have time. Listen, I'm tired. My mind's tired. I've had these conversations so much over the course of the last month and a half. I don't even have it in me to like do the whole pastor sales pitch vision thing. I don't even care about that. I'm just going to shoot straight. And the reason some of you are here is because I do shoot straight. Because I'm just real and I'm honest and I'm transparent even if it hurts. So I'm going to be that way right now. We've looked very aggressively to find a temporary location that can properly accommodate our Sunday mornings. Everything we do here. And I want you to hear it right here firsthand. There is nothing in the commerce area that properly accommodates our Sunday morning like we're doing. It's just not there. There are a ton of closed doors. We turned over a lot of rocks. There were a lot of close things that just wiggled right out of our hands. And we've had a lot of conversations and we've done a lot of looking and there's just nothing. Now, I do want to say what we're going to do, I'm very excited about and I'm extremely appreciative of because God did make a way for us to continue to do what we do. It's just not going to happen like we're used to it happening. Southside Church, who has a location right across the street next to Planet Fitness in a shopping center, they have generously offered for us to use their facility on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. Now, here's, here's the deal. First of all, see this for what it is. That's a kingdom-sized move right there. That's what I call biblical church being biblical church. That's, that's a win, ladies and gentlemen. We're not sitting on opposite sides of the sandbox like this. We're playing competition and contests with each other. We're in it for the same reason. And they, Pastor Jeff and their staff, they've generously opened their doors and said, what you need, have it right here, and let's reach people together. And I say, praise God, because we needed something. We needed something. And God has made a way for us to continue to do what we do. And we knew he would. But get this. Did we pay attention to anything I just said and what I just announced? That's a change. Our little convenient routine of Christianity Sunday morning, we just kicked that out the door for a little bit. Like we got to. I don't know how long 
We're going to use Southside on Sunday evenings. We've got another potential opportunity for a temporary location. There's too much uncertainty about it for me to speak it with any certainty. So I don't know what's going to come of that. What I do know is we're going to Southside on July 18th at 5 o'clock, and we're going to have church there. We're going to have one gathering. We're going to start with one 5 o'clock gathering. And if the capacity stays consistent and we have to go to two, then we'll do two. I don't care if it's standing room only. But if we have to go to two, we'll go to two. We're not going to start with two. We're going to start with one. It accommodates everything for our children. It accommodates everything for our worship. We're able to use it on Wednesday nights for the students. Isn't that a blessing? Hey, here's the deal too. It's nice. It's nicer than ours. It's nice. It's nice. It's not shaped like a banana. Uh, it's a little bit more secure too. It's a big rectangle. Um, if everybody shows up, we'll pack out the auditorium. If everybody besides our summer crowd that's usually here shows up, like come August, September, it'll be standing room only, and that's okay. Maybe it needs to be. Maybe, it need, maybe we need that. Maybe we need to be put out a little. Maybe we need a little inconvenience. Maybe this is where Jesus makes real followers of this church taking away our fluffy cushion 9.30 and 11.30, having a squat on someone else's property for a few weeks or months if need be. I'll address the elephant in the room. Two weeks ago, the owners of the bylaws said that they weren't reconsidering whether or not they wanted to sell to us. I told you that was two weeks ago. He, to he told me he would know in two weeks. I did not expect a phone call yesterday given the weekend. I am praying and expecting one this week. And when we know with certainty what that entire thing looks like, I will speak with certainty. Until I have certainty, I'm not going to get up and tell you anything prematurely. What I do know is this. July 14th, we have to be out of here. So July 18th, we're going to go right there. And I'm going to ask you as your pastor and your friend to change your Sunday. It is supposed to be the Lord's day, not yours. So let's change it. Change your routine. We've always been saying, we're not a traditional church. We're not routine. Praise God, Pastor Derek. Well, it's a great time to do what we say. Ashley and I were talking on the way over here. We are the most non-traditional church I've ever been a part of. So let's keep that trend going. <laughs> let's keep that going and... Be this. I don't know anybody that's done this. I don't know. I don't have a reference point. You understand that? Like, I can't go to christianbooks.com and look at somebody else's story. Nobody, everybody looks at me like, I, uh, hey, good luck, man. I'm glad I'm not you. That's what my friends say to me. I'm glad I'm not you. Having to figure that junk out. Well, if you usually have family dinner on Sunday evenings, start doing family brunch on Sunday at 10 o'clock. I mean, obviously, y'all sleep in. <laughs> if I went here, I'd come to 11.30 and I'd show up at 11.45. I'm just saying. <laughs> if I just came here, I get it. So change your Sunday. Because get, get this. 
what we're used to, our security is being challenged. And it's, it's changing. So let's, let's prove to ourselves and to God that we can keep him a priority by still going to church with the church at 5 o'clock. The students will still happen the same way, same time. It'll just happen there on Wednesday nights. Um, let's see here. Here's what I want y'all to do. When you leave, if you forget, we'll have them next Sunday. We'll have them the Sunday after, and we're going to make sure you get one when you show up July 18th. Parents, everybody probably wants one, but parents, you especially want one. It's a layout of the floor plan. I'll throw this in there. When you walk on this property and you see it, and I'm serious, it is nicer, and they're all the, a much older church. They're far more established. This is their second location. But when you walk through that place, I just want you to keep your dream gear on. And here's why. The same group of people that built out this facility is the same group of people that are going to build out ours. So when you walk through there and see it, you're going to get an idea of what we're working with and what we're going for. It'll be different, of course, but you're going to get an idea of, oh my gosh, our home's going to be awesome when we get there. So let's camp out with God temporarily at Southside Church on Sunday nights. And let's do exactly what we always do. Because we're going to worship. We're going to minister and pour into the next generation with NG Kids. And I'm going to take the Word of God. And I'm going to do what I've been doing for 20 years. And I'm going to preach Jesus high and lift it up. And we're going to exist so people experience new life in Christ. It's going to be new grace on the Southside at Southside. So grab one of these. They're on the high top tables in the lobby. We'll give you an idea of the floor plan. We've already got the rooms identified where we're going to be serving and ministering to kids. Volunteers, if you serve with kids, if you're holding a sign out front, if you're running production, if you're on our worship team, if you're campus safety, to whatever degree you volunteer, you're going to be hearing from me. I'm going to be emailing you you're going to be getting an invite from your team leader, and we're going to do a volunteer orientation on July 11th. That's a Sunday evening. We're going to gather over there, give you a first look at the property, show you the rooms that we will be serving in, show you a layout of the facility. We're going to pray together and get ready for that next Sunday, the 18th. It's fitting. It's fitting. We just talked about Jesus getting in a boat and going to the other side, and we're literally going to the other side. Sunday night church is not a big thing for me. I used to do Sunday morning, Sunday night, preach on the road Monday night, preach on the road Wednesday night, do Thursday night midweek service, preach in revival on Friday. I'm used to it. I say pray. If you want to know the truth, I always think evening services are better. Something about the night owl crawls out. <laughs> Come on, stand up. We're done.